Well, hey, you. Thanks for listening to the Planet LP podcast. This is the place where we drop the needle on the world of albums. I'm Ted Asregadu. And in this episode, Keith Creighton is back with another Pop Dose new music report with a bit of a twist. And I'll explain in a bit. But first, you can always follow along on all the major social channels. Twitter and Instagram, we're at the Planet LP. Facebook, it's Planet LP. Want to get in touch with me on ye oldie email? You can just hit me up at ted at planetlp.com. As always, you can subscribe and follow on most major podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, and Odyssey. Just go in the little search bar and type in Planet LP. You'll see the planet show up. Hit that subscribe button. And because we've got a packed episode, I'm just going to hit the bumper music and get right into it with Keith Creighton on the other side of this. Keith Creighton, welcome back to the planet, my friend. Good to be back. Yes. The Pop Dose New Music Report with Keith is a monthly feature on the pod. Keith writes for Pop Dose, as do I from time to time, and he has an impressive CD collection. I think you said something like 6,000 or something, 6,000 CDs. It's getting out of control, but the weird thing is I'm in a Facebook group called the yeah. Compact Disc Collectors Cave, and I have probably one of the smallest collections of oh. the people in that group. I might want to join the group just to see what people's collections, how big they are. Just when you think you have everything, yeah. someone comes up and is like, oh my <laughs> God. Exactly. Even on bands I collect, I'm like, I had no idea idea there was this much stuff out there it's ridiculous. it's probably to the point where there's going to be a reality show about this at some point <laughs> oh it's already called hoarders yeah they yes, exactly. do a cd edition we're getting bombarded with award seasons because we the pandemic kind of shifted the timeline for some of them like the grammys and that's one award we're going to really delve into in this episode uh before we get to your new recommendations of course i think some straight talk on the grammy awards is warranted and uh, this, dear listener, is being recorded on March 18th, 2022. The Grammy Awards is on April 3rd, 2022. So we don't know who won what, but we do know who the nominees are. So we're going to get to that in a bit. But I'm going to start with a very simple question for you, Mr. Creighton. Go for it. Are the Grammy Awards still relevant, especially like in the rock category? You and I were brainstorming what we could talk about this week. Yeah, yeah. There's always so much to talk about. I know. I, I kind of had, you know how you have the little angel and devil sitting on your shoulders? <laughs> yes. I had a little Seinfeld on one shoulder saying, what's the deal with award shows? And then I had a little Chandler Bing on the other shoulder saying, could award shows be any more relevant <laughs> You know, or more irrelevant? That's it. Irrelevant is what I wanted to say. because. Look at all the news that happened this week, because in addition to the Grammy Awards are coming up with Trevor Noah, very exciting. But then Dolly saying she wasn't going to, or she was going to take her nomination away from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. And then the Oscars saying we're scaling back the broadcast and we're pushing all the less popular categories off the show. And so I thought, why don't we go through the Grammys, the Rock Hall and the Oscars? And kind of talk about the relevance and should they even exist or should they exist in this modern age and should they change? So I thought that'd be a fun way to kind of go through it. Yeah. Yeah. Grammys. What a perfect place to start. So they got postponed. They're going to be in Vegas this year. And we kind of zoom back a bit on award shows. Why do they exist in the first place? Yeah. You know, the Grammys. The main goal in the old days was to move units, you know, sure. to promote bands and artists. And then you get that, the Grammy bump, you know, and all of a sudden they all show up in the top 10 again. But now that we're in the era of streaming, 
Does that even make sense? So one thing is moving units because same thing with the Oscars. They want to, you know, sell tickets to the, to the shows. But then also their preeminent thing when you put the bow tie on and straighten up everything is it's to honor excellence in the profession. Okay, that makes sense. That's very noble. But mm-hmm. then so that's what they say they're going to do. Then they really want to do is sell tickets. But then let's think about the other thing. They want to create good television. Yep. You know, yep. attract yep. a wide audience right. and sell advertising because that income usually funds the academy or whatever the, you know, the societies that are behind these broadcasts. But when you think about those three things, honor excellence, sell tickets or goods, and then create good TV, those things are at odds with each other and they're in conflict. And I think that's why they aren't relevant anymore, because if you're going to attract a wide audience, you got to go for the masses, which means you're not going to be honoring excellence. You're going to be honoring popularity. I kind of like think back in the day when I grew up in the 70s. Award shows were such a big draw because we never got to see our musical idols out of their element. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, here they are when they're not performing on stage or in the music video on MTV and was a chance to kind of see the real them. I remember seeing Prince when he showed up, like, I think it was the American Music Awards, and then he did the, the Grammys and then the Oscars. It was like, oh, my God, it was like a spiritual experience because, you know, he was really quiet and reclusive, and it was just literally like seeing God walk on earth. He just checked that box of make good TV. Exactly. There how you, you go. How you just explained yeah. it. He played the shy prince, the mysterious prince. It's like, who is this guy? And then the only way you're going to get to know him is to buy his records and see mm-hmm. his movie. But now you think about it, most of the celebrities that we're going to see on stage at any of these events have their own social media channels, which is just a 24-hour, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Like on any given day, I know what Marissa Tomei is wearing, where <laughs> she's gone to lunch, what she ate, no mystery anymore with any celebrity. So it's like, we know every little detail. So it's like, okay, then what's the big draw? Why do we need to see him on this? Why does the entertainment industry need so many award shows? And are they that in need of that kind of validation? Like there's every other profession, whether you're in office supplies or advertising or public relations, whatever, has their own awards programs because Mm -hmm. those generate money for whoever throws the awards show. But we don't need national TV. We don't need national recognition, validation. Like, isn't it enough that you're actually working in the field? The fact that you have a recording career or you're a successful producer, that should be validation enough. But they need that time on the stage to thank everybody. And it's like, oh, geez. I think you're right. I mean, you think about the the impact of social media upon the way it flattens everything because the award show is the event and it's designed to do like those three things that you talked about. Make good TV, honor excellence, sell product. But you're already doing that on social. I'm not maybe honoring excellence so much, but you're trying to make good social media things happen, whether it's short videos um, that people can post on their Instagram story or whatever. And you're always selling, right? You're always saying, hey, buy my new record at some point, or I have a back catalog or I'm always a presence. So try to check my stuff out on streaming. The other thing is a lot of times people are lobbying for their next job. Mm-hmm. That's why, especially in the Oscars, everyone thanks their agents, their right. producers, all these people that nobody at home knows or cares so, about. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with the Grammys. You know, they mm-hmm. sit there with a list, all their people. And the thing is, that means they're, the, the person on the stage is playing to the room. They're not playing to the at home audience. And that's why. By the time the music comes on to escort these people off stage, that they're still shouting the names of people that they want to thank that are important to their business. And that does not make good television. Right. 
you right. know, because nobody knows who these people are. The one, you know, think about the memorable speeches in any awards category. It's when the person on stage talks to the people at home. Mm-hmm. That's the the great connection speech, and that's what makes them all worthwhile. Because it makes good TV, and also it sells products. So that's what it should be doing. Okay, let's talk Grammys. Let's talk Grammys. As we talk Grammys, let's go back in time, shall we? Yeah. To the year 1985. 85. Oh, it's such a good year. And we'll jump forward 10 years after that to the year 1995. Let's stack up the rock categories in 85, 95. Look at those who was nominated, or really who won, and then compare them to 2022. So we have our little virtual whiteboard or basically a shared Google doc that we we've been trading information on. So the Grammy awards in 1985, you had the rock winners and the first one was the best rock vocal performance by female. And that was Tina Turner for the song better be good to me. So yeah. I absolutely love. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorites off well, that it was record. Such a lit, like if you saw the Tina documentary, like yeah. what a amazing crescendo to her career was that, you know, private dancer album. Yes. And yeah, yeah it was amazing. And she had help from a couple guys from the fix on that, that particular song. So that made it even more, I, had I would no say idea. contemporary, yeah. you know, at the time, because the fix were very popular. So one thing truly does lead to another and you yes, get a hit like that. <laughs> Nicely done. Wow. And then uh, best rock vocal performance by male was Bruce Springsteen for Dancing in the Dark. Now, yeah. a lot of people may have, you know, the real spring, hardcore Springsteen fans knew Springsteen from the get-go. But because Born in the USA was such a huge album, the masses really knew it. So now this was another way to sell more units because we were like, oh, maybe I should go check out not only Dancing in the Dark, but the Born in the USA album. Best rock performance by a duo or group was Prince and the Revolution for Purple Rain. And the best mm-hmm. rock instrumental performance was by the group Yes for Cinema. So this is what's supposedly happening in 85. Mm-hmm. Tina Turner, more than 20 years into her career. Right. Same thing with Yes and Springsteen were at least good 10 to 15 years into their career. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the old school still in the Grammy world is the center of the universe. When you yeah. look at everything else that was probably happening in 1985, Prince was probably the only one that was really in the zeitgeist, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of Tina had big hits and Springsteen. Those were their biggest ever hits thanks to MTV and all that kind of stuff. But there was so much other stuff happening. That gets washed away when we kind of look, just look at this. Yeah. So if we go back to the three boxes that you outlined and what award shows are supposed to do, which of course is attract an audience. So good TV. You want to see Tina Turner. You want to see Bruce Springsteen. You want to see Prince because, oh, he's mysterious. Who's that? What's what's going on with him? And then, yes, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys from the 70s, man. Sell units. That would certainly check those boxes. And then, of course, honor excellence. Now. Are they honoring excellence in these songs? I would say, yeah, they're all very good songs. I think they're, they were at the top of the charts, definitely, except for Yes's Cinema. That was more like a how they how they honor that, excellence in, in that instrumental category. That's an though. obscure yeah. category, by it the certainly way. Is. It certainly is. So then we go, we flash forward to 1995, and yeah. this is a little bit longer. This is the shocking one. When you said these are the winners, because yeah. 95 was the, one of the best years ever in music. 
Yeah. And so the thing is, these people have nothing to do with my 1995, at least. For me as well. So when I read off these lists, you're going to hear some familiar names from 1985, or at least one. Yeah. Uh, best female rock vocal performance was Melissa Etheridge for Come to My Window. A fine song. Yeah, it's good. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Not not anything that, I mean, I, I probably had the record, but did I play it much? Not really. Best male rock vocal performance was Bruce Springsteen for Streets of Philadelphia. Was it really that great of a song? I thought it was okay. Yeah. I liked the movie. Um, I thought the movie was powerful, but the the song itself, it's like, eh, it's all right. Nice. Best rock performance by a duo or group with vocal, Aerosmith for Crazy. Eh, okay. Yeah. yeah. More for the Alicia Silverstone on that one. Yes, you know, exactly. Or that era, at least. I don't know if she's yeah. in that particular video, but yeah, that was like, oh, that's the Alicia Silverstone band. Yeah. Best rock instrumental performance was Pink Floyd for Marooned. Like, All what? Right. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and then they sort of expanded the category a bit. They had best hard rock performance, Soundgarden for Black Hole Sun. Now that song was pretty much everywhere that, on that, TV. Yeah, that was happening. Best metal performance, Soundgarden won for that as well for Spoon Man. There you go. And then best rock song, Bruce Springsteen. Streets of Philadelphia. So and that wasn't really a rock song. It was a very really. mellow, <laughs> like, geez, what else was happening in the nineties? Like you figure, especially in 95, which these probably wouldn't have been eligible for the Grammys till 96 yeah. or 97. But you know, you had melancholy and the infinite sadness by mm-hmm. smashing pumpkins. You had pulp with different class. You had rancid and out came the wolves. So much amazing stuff was happening at the time. And I missed one best rock album. The Rolling Stones for oh, Voodoo geez. Lounge. Not even a great Stones record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, why would they get nominated? Oh, right, because they're the Rolling Stones. That's why. But yeah, look who does the nominations. Because notice, you notice we've seen the carryover that the people that are probably doing most of the voting have been in the industry probably since the 60s or even the 50s. And these are the people they know. It's the same thing with, I noticed, Rolling Stone magazine. Anytime... Bob Dylan comes down the mountain with something. They give it five stars. Yeah, I know. I know. They, or maybe four and a half. There you go. It's just, you it's know? the comfort. It's the, it's the comfort food. So what's the Grammys are now serving up is comfort food. You know, it's absolutely like, okay. comfort food. I, I feel like this is like 95. Yeah. It was almost to reassure people that rap was ascending. Was This is like the golden age of rap. Yeah. You had grunge. You even had country that was doing really well at that point. So I would imagine the mainstream was feeling a little insecure about like, are we even relevant anymore? And yeah. so this was almost like reassure people like, yeah, yeah, people are still buying your records. I'm guessing it was on CBS back in the day, which Probably, always CBS yeah. trends older. Mm-hmm. And so like when you put these names in the bill there and if they're going to perform on the show, that's guaranteed you're going to get your CBS audience. Because yeah, Soundgarden, especially back then, would have just scared the heck out of grandma. <laughs> but oh, Melissa Etheridge, oh, that's a lovely lady. She's lovely. Well, that Soundgarden is a little heavy for my taste. Oh, yeah. Chris Cornell, what is he? He looks a little animalistic. I don't like it. Oh my okay. gosh, all that hair going all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so we are now in the 2022 nominees. Yeah. And we know the nominees. We don't know the winners, of course, because I said we're recording this on March 18th. Yeah. So for best rock performance... Here comes Comfort Food, ACDC, yeah. Shot in the Dark, Black Pumas, Know You Better. This is a live take from the thing is, Capitol I Studio 8. I love the Black Pumas. I don't view them as rock at all. I don't either. That was the thing. I was, I was like, what? 
Okay. Uh, Chris Cornell, we were talking about Soundgarden. Here's a guy who died in 2017. He's now nominated for Best yeah. Rock Performance. For a song by someone, you. Yes, a song by someone who died the year before. You know? right. So right. it's like, okay, we're. He, he does Prince's Nothing Compares to You. Um, yeah. Deftones, which 20 years ago they were something, but now. Yeah, it's I was 20, shocked they were 22 still years around. later. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, so, the Deftones are still around? Yeah. Wow. So Ohms, uh, that was the name of the song. Foo Fighters, Making a Fire. That's probably, that's more of a pop song to me. When I listen to it, I'm all like, yeah, it's got some great hooks. And I'm like, this is a rock performance? Is it because it's just Foo Fighters? It's Foo Fighters. They want the Foo Fighters there. Like that's their, nominate them. They will show up. Yeah. It's good, t- it's good TV. That was hitting their good TV thing. So then we get in the metal performance and this is, I guess, where they get kind of edgy in a way. And I went through and I listened to all the, all these songs. Yeah. So Deftones are back on with a song called Genesis. Not a bad song. It's, it's, I kind of like Ohms better in, in their yeah. rock performance, but Genesis was okay. Dream Theater has been around for a long time. I think since the mid eighties, I should be into Dream Theater because I'm a big Rush fan, but I've never gotten into Dream Theater. The song that they've been nominated for is called The Alien. Pretty good song. It's got a lot of different stylistic changes for metal, if you yeah. will. So it gets very speed metal at the beginning, and then it gets very proggy in the middle. And it's a long song. And this is around eight minutes or so. Um, a band called Gorgira. I have no idea who they are. They do one called Amazonia. Amazonia, I believe Amazonia. is what I would say. Yeah. It was all right. I felt it a little bit plotting. Mastodon, another uh, metal band that I know nothing about. Pushing the Tides is been, been nominated. I felt like that was okay. The one that surprised me that I really liked was Rob Zombie, The Triumph so he, of King Freak. That's I didn't even know he was still making music. I thought he was a director. I didn't either. Wow. I no but it's, it's this really great melding of funk and metal and it really wow. works well i every now at one point this is like this funky bass riff in there and i'm like this is pretty cool i might want to check out the rest of the record so cool yeah the uh, one thing i can hand it to them on this category was there's actually metal in there so yes go wow yes. there's actual metal in the metal category i would love to see some women in here i would love to go back a couple of years to see if it has a woman fronted or or a female metal group ever been in this category cuz man it is just yeah. testosterone fever here yeah it's a sausage factory that's for sure yeah um that's a good question that's almost like a trivia question canada's um, unleashed the archers had an album out two years ago so they're probably due for another one but yeah i would love to know if they ever got nominated because mm. she you know britney slays is a really powerful singer and it would just be great to have them in this category i would bet they got nominated for a juno award there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the Junos. Yeah, the Junos. So we got we get onto best rock song. And I again I've listened to all of these. I'm sure you have too. So Weezer, all my favorite songs, but it was written by how many? One, oh two, God. three, four. Four people. Lots of people. And I was not impressed with that song. That's not even a rock song. Well, Weezer's totally in that phase of they've realized like Taylor Swift mm-hmm. push as much content into your feed as possible. <laughs> They put out two albums last year. This year, they're putting out four EPs, one for each of the seasons. Kings of Leon, a band mm-hmm. that, again, it was it's one of those comfort food bands. They have a song called The Bandit. I listened to it. I was just like, uh, okay, mm-hmm. it's all right. Is it the best rock song? I don't think so. Uh, Wolfgang Van Halen's band, Mammoth, WVH, The Distance. Yeah, which I'll has the greatest it. video. Have you seen the video for that? Yeah, yeah. It's got Eddie Van Halen in there. It's all, all the, the home movies. movies. Yeah. I like that song. I hope he wins for that song yeah, because even be though it's not a, like a real, real hard rocking song, like the rest of the record is yeah. the fact that he 
wrote, produced, and played every instrument on this yeah. record is pretty impressive. He should win for that. And you can see that in Don't Back Down, which should have been nominated because yeah. in the video, he plays every member of the band and it's a very <laughs> cheeky video. I like and, that video. But yeah, yeah, that song rocks. Yes, you know, I did a total Beavis and Butthead head thrash when that thing was on. <laughs> and so that should have gotten the nomination. Yeah, Beavis and Butthead. Hey, isn't that that kid from gym class? <laughs> no, Beavis. That's that's Van Halen's kid. <laughs> what? But oh my god, he rocks! He rocks! Nice. It's like the oh. one time they saw Judas Priest breaking yeah. the law, and they didn't even like the video. Uh, Bevis, I think that was Judas Priest. <laughs> and then Paul then- McCartney gets nominated for "Find My Way" from McCartney Three. Um, oh, yeah. exactly. You know, exactly. Like, I love Paul McCartney. His previous album, which was called like Egypt Station or something, was amazing. Yes. It was very good. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. But McCartney 3, okay, that's give grandpa a hug. You know, that was a good try. I actually thought if anything got nominated, it, you know, the Beck remix is amazing from McCartney 3 and Reimagined. Because in that video, McCartney from the 60s does his whole um what was the one, uh, there was a rock video for, I think it was like Fat Boy Slim or something where. Oh, it was Christopher Walken. Walken yeah. Yeah. So they basically redo the Christopher Walken video with 60s McCartney doing uh-huh. the dancing. And it's a great video. And Beck brought out a little bit more of what that song, Find My Way, was trying to do. So I think this was just a nod like, okay, we're going to give Paul McCartney a nod every time he puts out a record just because he's Paul McCartney. It seemed that way. Um, I just was not loving the original song. I think you're absolutely right. If the Beck remix had been the one nominated, I would have said, yeah, that's pretty good. It sounds very contemporary. It sounds like McCartney's really pushing forward. The original song just sounds almost like a demo. Like, not his best vocals. And it was very, you know, cliche lyrics. And so I was like, yeah. okay, he's doing his, his vocals best. are kind he's of shaky. Of course, yeah. He's in his mid seventies. He got to cut him some slack. He's there, in his eighties, so. isn't he? Is he 80 already? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God. I thought Ringo yeah. was the oldest. I thought Ringo yeah. was, let's find out how old I'll is Paul check. McCartney. Find I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Cause I have to know he's 79. 79. Wow. He's 79. He will be, he'll be 80 in June. Crazy. That's so. very good Googling. You did. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, Waiting on a War, Foo Fighters. Love that record. Mm-hmm. Medicine at Midnight's one of their best records in years, but that's probably the weakest track on the album. His rhyme schemes and the word choice, and it just is like, okay. Then it just expands into the big, bombastic Foo Fighters stadium thumper at the end. But yeah, and I was like, oh, there's better songs on that record. Well, you and I, I mean, for better, for worse, we're music critics. So yeah. when we, if we had to write this up, I would be hard pressed to even give this much more than it doesn't do much for me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the thing, thing is, this is them, I think, just trying to pad out the category with things that the their voting base is going to know. They figure there's cutting edge rock acts all the time. Inhaler, it would have been a great new, you know, rock band this year and then um cheap trick also if anyone's going to put out an amazing record they should have been nominated for both the album or a song because right. cheap trick just banged it out of the park this last you're year. right you're absolutely right and then the dropkick murphys I, they put out turn up that dial last year they don't know if they've ever been nominated and they're a stadium-sized band dropkick mm-hmm. murphys aren't some club punk band somewhere they've been around for since 96 you know putting out records since at least the 2000s so they're rock hall eligible 
they put out a really great record that would have been just added some fun to the category just yeah. like, why, right. when did rock and roll get so stale <laughs> i don't know maybe 95 but you notice you know they just are dipping their pens back into the same old same old stuff just like how taylor swift will always get nominated for yeah. everything she ever yeah. does for the rest of her life that's the way the Grammys are. And even in the pop category, when I looked at I'm all like, it's the same people. Yeah. It's the same people that keep showing up. I'm supposed to get excited by them again. Yeah. I mean, Bieber, Gr- Ariana Grande, you know, to just, they, yeah. Olivia Rodrigo. The Last category in the rock, rock category for this year is best alternative music album. Yeah. Fleet Foxes was nominated for their album. Sure. Yeah, sure yeah. they were. It's fairly dreamy. I, I listened to it the other night and yeah. I, I liked it. My wife is a big Fleet Foxes fan. She likes the earlier stuff. I don't know if she'd like this stuff, but it is it was much more ethereal, much more dreamy, less folky yeah. in a way. The other one nominated is uh, Japanese Breakfast. Yeah, which they describe themselves as a pop band. I kind of think because when we look at, you have Arlo Parks, who's lovely, kind of more in the Amy Winehouse category, St. Vincent, which just kind of does her own thing, mm-hmm. you know, once again in the pop thing. And then of course, Halsey did put out a somewhat rock record with nine inch nails kind of behind her on that one. Right. But it seemed like this category was just the none of the above, like almost admitting to the voting base. <laughs> we don't know where to put these guys. Just give them something. So Japanese breakfast only because you and I were like, who? Yeah. <laughs> I went, I listened to, to the record the other day yeah. after we were going back and forth. And then of course, once I listened to it, I got to find out more about who Japanese breakfast is. The, the album's called Jubilee. I really like it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, I did too. there you go. That's the first yeah. new thing I think we've done in this. We've been going back now 20 years on the, the Grammy nods. Yeah. Japanese breakfast is the first truly new and fresh thing that I've seen in this yeah. list. Michelle Zahner is her name. She's She fronts the, the band, essentially. It's an experimental pop band. Yeah. She's a Korean-American. They're kind of, I wouldn't say psychedelic, but she lists as her influences Kate Bush and Bjork. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And she says that their third albums were the ones where they just really blossomed. Like it was just like that for her, for both Kate Bush and for Bjork. Their third albums were key to establishing them as the artists that they they became and so this is her third well their third album jubilee and so in that vein michelle is trying to get into uh, i guess that sort of experimental pop if you will yeah i felt it was a little bit more conventional than experimental but i still liked it i I found it very refreshing yeah i like bands like asobi sesku and Mm -hmm. back in the you know i think the 90s 2000s enon they put Japanese kind of elements into their kind of Midwestern indie rock. And then we're going to talk about Luna Lee, who we talked about on the last podcast, but her album came out and it's the same kind of thing. Put some Japanese or Chinese or Korean or Filipino influences into pop music. And it's really exciting where they're taking it. It's not as polished as BTS or a lot of the K-pop bands are, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's taking that aesthetic and adding the world influences into indie rock. And there's almost unlimited places it can go just the way Bjork back in the day took all of her Icelandic influences and just created something we had never heard before. So before we move on to our next topic, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Grammy Awards last year. And this gets back to your, one of your earlier points, which was to to move units, to sell, to sell records. I went and I bought whoever was nominated in the rock category. 
I bought their actual CDs because okay, cool. I wanted to sit down and listen to them and not just stream it, but actually have it look through the cover art. And if there was any much to, to look through. And I got to say, the only one I keep coming back to is Michael Kawanaka. That's yeah. it. I love him, but I don't, I got him into him because he was like the end credits theme, I think to that HBO Nicole Kidman show. Pretty little liars. Yeah. That yeah, one. Just yeah. Okay. So that's how I got into him. You know, you Shazam the end credits like, Oh wow. That's cool. I don't even know if I would consider that rock. Yeah, it's a bummer that none of the other of your five stood up. No, and I'm I'm looking to see if I can if I can find the the actual winners list. Okay, here it is. The best rock albums for last year were A Hero's Death by Fontaine's DC, uh, mm-hmm. Kawanika by Michael Kawanika, which I that's the album I keep coming back to. Yeah, that's a good one. Grace Potter, Daylight, not a bad album. I wouldn't consider it really rock. It was a little bit more adult contemporary. Sturgill Simpson, or is it Sturgill? Sound and Fury. Very experimental, but I played it maybe once and yeah. just kind of st- just kind of laid there. And then it's the stroke coaster, and then the strokes, the new abnormal. I really yeah. didn't care. I was like, yeah, yeah all right, I fine. bought it too. Yeah, so it's the same thing. I notice, yeah, I, those are a lot of the albums I buy because I'm like, yeah. okay, this is happening, and if I got a Grammy nod, it's got to be worth it. And yeah, and then you never listen to them again. Yeah, yeah. I think Kawanika and Grace Potter, those are the two I listen to the most. The rest of them are just like you said, beer coasters at this point. So as we move on away from the Grammys to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we've got one of your favorites, Dolly Parton, in the news. Yeah. And the thing is, and this is on the day we're taping this, breaking news. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. And that's exactly (laughs) what happens when you get a Rock Hall nomination. She would politely declined. And then the Rock Hall said, too late, you're on the ballot, We're, you know, it's going. So, you know, here's the thing. She's very, she's a very modest, humble woman. And that's mm-hmm. part of what makes her such an amazing person. But I think she was alluding to, and I didn't see this get talked about too much. The fact that she said, a vote for me takes away from a vote for someone else. Oh, and she yeah. was basically then saying, that's why she said, oh, I haven't put out a rock record yet. And so why am I taking away a vote for someone else? And that's what I hate about the Rock Hall. The Rock Hall makes it a competitive thing where then something that should be in a, you know, okay, we're going to celebrate your achievement becomes Mm a, well, celebrate your achievement if you're popular enough where you basically put the nomination out and then say, psych, and you rip the carpet away from half that list. And there are certain bands that are iconic that are nominated year after year that never get in. And that's just kind of like, so it's in a way you're shaming artists that you should be celebrating. And I just don't like that. I just think it's, it's the one part of the Rock Hall that I just think is disgusting. The Rock Hall has a bunch of kind of inherent problems that I have a very unique way that I'm going to debut here okay. that they could solve a lot of the problems. Because you figure they have a big backlog of artists trying to get in. That's why people like Kate Bush have never gotten in. And people like, let's say, The Damned and New Order you know, and Joy Division will probably never get in because the backlog is so long. HBO edits or airs the broadcast. I think it's like a four or five hour broadcast in its edited form. Our colleague, Annie Zaleski, goes to many of these since they're in Cleveland and she's one of the top rock writers in the nation right now. But I'm pretty sure that concert is at least six hours long that you're there Mm -hmm. in the stands. Look at every single act that gets in. You have the package that airs, which is the video edit highlights of their career that could sometimes last five to seven minutes. Then you get the induction speech, which could be another five to 10 minutes. Then you get all the members coming up and doing their speeches. 
And then they go and do a song or two. And that means that band has now been on the broadcast for a half hour. You know, so if you try to put six nominees on a broadcast, that's three hours alone without any of the other interstitials. Good point. Instead of trying to shove so much content into a once a year thing, and we have such a backlog of deserving bands that need to get in, plus producers and publicists and stuff like that, label heads. What if they turned it into a TV series? 10 episodes a year. Mm -hmm. You have two nominees an episode. And therefore, you can actually then put a lot more people into the rock hall. Maybe you do 10 episodes in the spring, 10 episodes in the fall. Really give people the time to spread their wings and celebrate their achievements without having to then literally sit still and consume this broadcast, which is just monumentally long. It would actually change things because then we can actually get diverse, bring in people as they age into into the categories at 25 years into your career. But then Mm -hmm. plus get people from the 60s and the 70s that are still alive into the Hall of Fame where they can actually be on stage and not be celebrated posthumously. I think that's a great idea. I think because HBO is the one that generally puts together the, the, the edited version of the ceremonies that they could easily expand it into a weekly or even at least, like you said, maybe 10 episodes and they're an hour long. Most people would sit for that. Yeah, totally. You know? Or you could, you could binge at your own leisure. It just gives everybody a chance to shine, which would be awesome. And then we could start getting all these people that deserve to be in the Rock Hall, as well as there's a lot of punk and underground bands that have been man, monumentally influential on rock and roll that's come after it. Mm-hmm, that They will mm-hmm. never, ever get into the Hall of Fame and they need right. to be there. So speaking of Dolly. She did do some appearances on TV. She was mostly talking about being affiliated with Duncan Hines and and making cakes and things like that. But of course, she had gotten nominated to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she talked a little bit on one of her interviews that I pulled about that nomination. And is she a rocker? I was as shocked as anybody that I was nominated uh, in the Hall of Fame. I never thought of myself as a, you know, being in rock and roll, although I've done rock songs and all. But they say they judge that on several other things. I don't really know exactly what. But I was, uh, you know, when people say to me, you the rock star or you rock, I just always take that like, you know, I'm cool at doing whatever I'm doing. But when they <laughs> actually nominated me, I was surprised as everybody else. So I, I don't. Uh, know if I'll get it or not, but it did inspire me to do one thing. I'm actually going to do a real serious, hard-on rock album after the first of the year. That's going to be something I, at least if I don't get it, I'll at least try to measure up to the fact that I got nominated. <laughs> well, that's that's good, right? Yeah, she brings up a really good point about what is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame supposed mm-hmm. to do? Because you do put a lot of hip-hop artists in there in country sure, because right. rock drew from country from soul music, from R&B, from blues, blues, all of that kind of stuff. But then, you know, like the country music, there's three or four Hall of Fames and award shows that are just dedicated to country that don't let rock stars in. So you kind of wonder, should the rock hall, is it more about rock, the attitude, or is it more about rock and roll, the music? Yeah, you know? good point. Good point. And so then they, they need to make a call. Well, yeah, it's more about the attitude, and then we kind of let everyone in. And then it's a celebration, really, of popular music. 
76 years old she is. Oh, my gosh. This recording. Yeah, and she's still going strong. Timeless as ever. She is timeless. So moving on over to the Oscars this year, you noted they have changed it up. Yeah, so they're deleting a lot of the unpopular categories, the ones that the kids at home aren't going to recognize, like the shorts, you know, animated Mm -hmm. and live action shorts. Right. You know, sound design, editing, that kind of stuff. And so I can see the editors and stuff, they have a really good point in terms of why are we being ushered off the stage when we're so important to the final product. But then when you look at everything we've been talking about, if they're trying to make good television, I hate to say it, that the telecast gets so long. So imagine the same thing I had with the Rock Hall. Imagine if they put out a TV series around the nominees every year, where then you get to have, let's say, an entire hour celebrating the behind the scenes people where you actually learn a little bit more about what editing and sound design is you talk to the nominees, you have other big talking heads give theirs like, oh my God, this is why this movie deserved the best editing nomination. And then you actually show the clips. And then imagine also airing all the shorts. So imagine HBO or someone puts a package mm-hmm. or Netflix puts a package together and you can actually see all the shorts in one place. Instead of kind of like dragging down the big broadcast give them a chance to shine all on their own where then people can actually learn about the magic of Hollywood. The Oscar awards would be more like the SAG after awards where it's just honoring those things that people really care about, which are the actors, maybe the, you know, best picture. I don't know about screenplay. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I guess screenplay, maybe a song and dance number. Although the SAG after awards doesn't have that, but the SAG after awards is a really tight two hours. And I think that the Oscars are trying to say, we need to tighten this thing up. Big time. It, it always goes, you know, almost four hours long. Everyone complains about the length, and uh, you even see the actors sometimes missing their awards because they're in the bathroom yeah. because the thing is so long. That's a good idea to kind of yeah. break it up in a way to make it more like Oscar Week or Oscar yeah. Two Weeks or something like that. And then the thing is, and here this applies to every single award show on the air. For the love of God, stop miking the audience in the in memoriam section you know to see some people get these kind mm-hmm. of trickles of you know applause and right. then it becomes a popularity contest as the who's the most popular dead person you know i could actually almost see the in memoriam being its own tv show give like a half hour to celebrate with clips and people talking about the lives of these people mm-hmm. because some people in the in memoriam section get like a split second you don't even have time to read their name let alone their title <laughs> You know, it's like, bling, bling, bling. Here's all these dead people. It's like, I would love to spend an hour on that and really get to know these people and kind of celebrate their lives and their careers. You know, yeah. but oh my God, they, that, oh, that's just so Winston dude sing. When you hear that smattering of applause or a woo, you know, when someone comes on, I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh. Steve Glick. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Poor Steve. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Like, and then when someone right after an applause burst has yeah. no applause. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, you didn't count, you know. So. You did not, no, no. Okay. It becomes, it's a little high schoolish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and the thing is, and then they're there in the fan vote this year, you know, it's like that's just going to end in tears, you know, in terms of what's going to actually win. Don't open up things to the fan vote. That's my last, that's the end of my platform on these the, the award season. Because, oh, Do you think, you think best, uh, best song or soundtrack should still be in the Oscars, or should that be yeah. relegated well, to the... 
to the sound design, editing, cinematography stuff. Now, I think song is important for the Oscars yeah. because the performances break up the monotony of tuxedos and ball gowns. You and know, thanking so, agents, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's just like, oh, God, it's so tedious. You're either going to get the thank the agent speech or the really politically daring speech. But usually those things are kind of half-baked anyway. I just would love to tighten the whole thing up, have some performances, <laughs> celebrate the movies, and then be done. You're right about the the speeches. Sometimes it, it just gets like, yeah. I want to thank my agent, Stewie and Pippa Feldman. Without you, yeah. oh my God. It's like, okay, but will I ever run into Stewie or Pippa? Probably not. <laughs> and the thing is, the Oscars are always anticlimactic because the yeah. producers get the award for best movie. Yeah. So here at the very end, you made it all the way like 17 hours into the broadcast. And then these people get up that you don't know. And then- they're usually so far out of time that the, the whole thing just starts running the credits and they go to the local news. So there's not even a good chance to revel in that amazing, the movie that won Beck's picture because, okay, here's a guy I don't know. He's getting played <laughs> off. They're running late. It's so anticlimactic. It's like the My same name thing. is Paul Severinsen and I'm so, so thankful. Yeah. We really did it. Who are you again? Yeah. Okay. We're going to thank you. We'll and see I you next week. My bank and the financiers. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, Everybody geez. at wall street. Hey guys. Champagne's on me tonight, okay? So let's move on to what this feature is called, the Pop Dose <laughs> New Music Report with Keith Creighton. We've got a couple of CDs you want to spotlight, and uh, one of them is a band that we both like very much. Tears for Fears. Yes. And here's the thing I'm just noticing as we're going into this section of the podcast, and we've just been complaining about how long award shows are. Yeah. That we're probably in the third hour of this podcast. So. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go. Let's go. We'll go quick for the listeners at home. We're going to go really quick. So, Tears for Fears debuted at number one on the Billboard album sales chart back in the day. That would have meant they moved like two million, like NSYNC did units, but they were number one with just twenty one thousand five hundred units sold. Wow! You know, most of them, sorry hipsters, were on CD twelve thousand. 9,500 on vinyl. And then according to Wikipedia, a negligible sum on cassette, you know, so <laughs> negligible. sum. I don't know. I don't not get the cassette revival. That thing is just showing that hipsterism has gone too far. Yeah. So interesting. So, um, a number one debut used to yeah. be around 2 million yeah. sold out of the gate. Now, and now it's 21,000 21, and some change. Yeah, exactly. And so the thing is, the same week, the Scorpions talk about Blast from the Past. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's high school sold, right there. They sold 12,000 units. They were number four on the Billboard sales chart. The okay. Tears for Fears was number eight on the Billboard 200 when you factor in streaming, which is still really good for a band that has not put out an album in like 30 years. A little bit less. I think it was 20 years since everyone loves a happy ending. Mm -hmm. The last big Tears for Fears record was Seeds of Love in 89. Which I absolutely love that record. I bought the box set that's got the remastered, oh. remixed version from Stephen Wilson. You can only play it on your DVD player. I mean, I have a sound bar on my TV. But yeah. even through that, I could hear like so much that was different from just the regular stereo mix. Oh, okay. I'll have to do just, that. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very nice. And you, it was sold out. It sold out pretty quick. And I, and when I saw it come down the pike, I'm like, I got to get that. So I put in my pre-order on it and I got it. And um, I play it often because it's one of my favorite Tears for Fears albums. Now, what do you think about the new one, about this current record? I um, really liked point? it. You know, there was a lot of people that were kind of on the fence about it, but I thought I have not heard to be I'm very honest that everyone loves a happy ending record. <laughs> I had, was in a totally different place when that came out. 
And so, but I loved Seeds of Love. That's my favorite of the three previous Tears for Fears records. And I do love all of them, you know, the first two, but um, I really like this. We're at the same point in our lives as they are in theirs. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just grooved into it. You know, I don't think there was any songs that jumped out at me, but oddly enough, the Target Special Edition, which has two of the three available bonus tracks in this song cycle the Target edition had some of the best stuff. One of the songs was very upbeat and rocking, and the other uh-huh. one was very trippy. And so I thought, okay, and I'm sure those will eventually come out for everybody on a deluxe edition of the CD, but I love the Target edition. And I just kind of listened to it all as a start to finish piece of music versus singling out songs. So I went, because of your recommendation on the Target edition, I went to Target last night to look for it. It sold out. On the app, I checked the app before I went to the store. I had to be at some other things, but it said they had five copies. I said, oh yeah, no problem. Go there. Yeah. Empty shelves. Empty and shelves. Like, what the heck? Uh, they had a lot of Adele CDs, but most of the other ones were completely gone. And I went to the, you know, flagged down a, a guy that worked there. And I said, hey, so look at this app. It says you've got five of these. He goes, he went to check in the back. He said, sorry, I did somehow the inventory got messed up. So we're going to get more on, on uh, Saturday. So come back Saturday. That kind of built in a little velvet rope for me because I got yeah. excited by that. And I thought, Ooh, I'm going to really like, I'm making a trip specially to buy this tears for fears record. So, because he says those two songs, those two yeah. bonus tracks that are only available on the target edition are pretty darn good. So I've got advice and this is the best advice for all your listeners at home on how to get target editions, because I have been burned so many times about showing up like right when Target opens on the day that a Target special edition is coming in because there's two things that are happening at Target. One, somebody in the music section is putting in a lot of thought to negotiating with the labels to get the special editions because sometimes mm-hmm. Target just gets special artwork. We talked about this last time with new weekend albums. You yeah, know? you said it was a totally different artwork uh, from the, the aged face. Yeah, so you know sometimes they get a poster or something like that, but when they get the special tracks, they could be really cool and sometimes add a lot to the the overall experience. Mm-hmm. But here's what I learned. Every single time I would show up at the racks, nothing. Crickets, empty space. Oh. So here's what you do. All right. Go to target.com. Uh-huh. You order it, select it for in-store pickup, and then you're guaranteed it's going to be there yeah. if it's in stock. But guess what? If it's not in stock, like what happened to you? Right. Target just sends it to you for free. No shipping charges. Oh, the savvy shopper, Keith Crane. There you Look go. At that. I like that. I'll do that next time. The saddest place in a Target is their CD selection. I know, because it's so small now. <laughs> yeah. And like literally nobody is ever back there. It's just like this quiet, dark place of the store. It's just people like you and me. Exactly. <laughs> and it's oh, really it's- sad because you figure back in the day, Target did CDs as a loss leader, meaning you put a special edition out at a sales price and you put it at the back of the store, meaning you're going to draw people into the store. They're then going to shop for all this other stuff because the CDs are in the back. Best Buy did the same thing back in the day with all their special editions. But now they sell so few units that they're just kind of like thrown in the back. And it's just, it's uh, nothing is sadder than a Target music selection. I felt a little bit like, ooh, this is kind of cool that Tears for Fears is actually sold out. I mean, Tears for Fears. I mean, this is a band, like you said, hasn't produced an album for like 20 years. Most people had probably forgotten about them, except folks in our age group, but anyone younger than us, like, oh yeah, that band from the 80s. 
Yeah. You know? And this is Shout. Just, yeah, yeah, this is them, me yeah. merely speculating on the Target special editions. And, you know, so don't sue me, Target. But I see a lot of these wind up on eBay pretty fast. And I wouldn't doubt that the employees lift them, buy them. They never hit the floor and they wind up right on eBay. Or they're just employees or fans and they get first dibs on the Target ones. Because this goes all the way back to, you know, some of the Best Buy special editions back in the day where, like, literally the the website says, oh, we've got 20 in stock and there are none available. And they (laughs) go there and the employees are like, we don't know what you're talking about. The thing is, if someone at Target is going to go through so much trouble to get a special edition, put an end cap out with like 100 copies and put it in a highly visible location and move the units because that's usually the deal. Okay, label, we're going to do a special edition and you're going to sell more units. It just kind of irks me. They put record stores out of business and then they gave up on records. Yeah, you know, so. I know. I, I obviously see it, but I, I totally sympathize with what you're saying. Yeah. I know we've given Tears for Fears a lot of time, but I wanted to play a clip that they did on uh, Apple Music. Uh, Zane Lowe, he has a podcast, and he had the guys on to talk about the new record, but they talk about their work ethic from the 80s versus, well, today. We worked in a team um, to make songs from the big chair. There were five very important people for that record, the engineer, producer Chris Hughes, Ian Ian Stanley, keyboard player and co-writer. That has been successful, extremely successful. But there are, there are moments in our career and in our lives where we, we are best left just the two of us. And we sat down and decided, again, how, how do we get this, finish this album? And we ended up doing that sort of one writing session in my house in Los Angeles, beginning of 2020. Roland went back to, Lond- to England and the pandemic hit, so he couldn't come back for quite a while. So we were doing things sort of via email and eventually... Roland got back, I think, at the beginning of September or late August, somewhere around there in 2020. So we went in the studio in September, and by Christmas we finished. Wow. That's how quickly, that's how quick it was when we were left to our own devices. And that is in stark contrast to Seeds of Love, which took, I think, two years to make. Wow. And they recorded it on digital audio tape. This was one of the earlier records that was all uh, on digital audio tape, and then they had to figure out you know, what to use, which take, and there were, you know, the logging of all these different takes that they did. But the fact that they had worked out the songs so tightly over the course of the pandemic and then went into the studio and cut the album so very quickly means that, well, they did all their pre-production work at home. So when they went into the studio, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. We know these songs through and through. And I think that kind of comes across on the record. There's a, there is a kind of an intimacy from the, from the very first track that's just very spare them on guitar, acoustic guitar. And then as the track kind of builds up layer upon layer, it gets more, more interesting and more intense and more, more tears for fearsy. But this is a very diverse album. And I, I encourage folks to just get the target edition if you can, as we sort yeah. of wrap up, we've got a couple of, um, sort of lightning round mentions. We won't go as deep as we have for, you know, the the majority of this podcast, but things that you wanted to mention in terms of some new music that people should be aware of. Last time on the show, we talked about Luna Lee, who is this just amazing Korean Canadian singer and kind of doubling back to when we talked about Japanese breakfast, kind of melding these Asian influences. She plays almost every instrument on the album. Duality is one of my top albums of the year now you know, right up there with The weekend, And, you know, it is just a sonic masterpiece. And then here's a, my little advice to people that might want to check it out. Check it out online, mm-hmm. Duality by Luna Lee. Um, but then if you go to her band camp, you can actually order a deluxe CD edition that'll ship in April. 
but then you get the lossless tracks to download right away. So you can actually listen to the full fidelity experience. And so, you know, gauzy, psychedelic, trippy, shoegaze, string-laden dream pop. That's the way I talk about it. So Lunally, Duality is one of my favorite records. Her, her last name is spelled L-I, not L-E-E. Oh, so there you go. Very, yeah. very good point. Lunally, yeah. L-U-N-I, and then L-I. And so she's just amazing. So since that was on the last podcast, the CDs to kind of watch out for, I think the ones that I'd love just to quickly mention that we'll probably talk about in detail on the next one Chick, 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 the band that dare not say its name because it's usually spelled with three exclamation points. Okay. Has a brand new album coming out in May. Very excited. And if you can't wait for that, check out on Bandcamp as well. They do an amazing, completely original version of Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. Oh. That's available for download. Okay. They completely, you know, trip, chick, chick. Back in the day, they did really rhythmic music, but without synthesizers. In a concert, you'd have a bunch of guitarists and a bunch of percussionists doing these really trippy songs. And then they kind of moved some synths into their sound since then, but they are just one of the most exciting acts out there, kind of right up there with LCD sound system Mm -hmm. in terms of just sonic experimentation, but yet very danceable and very relational. So Chick Chick Chick, new album in May. Camille, the lost album by Prince, is finally going to be released by Jack White's Third Man Records because it was originally an album that was pressed, ready to go by Warner Brothers, and then pulled at the last minute. Jack White spent almost 50000 bucks to get one of those copies. Jeez. And so now that through the Sign of the Times, you know, deluxe edition that came out, the Bright Lights Big City soundtrack, the Sign of the Times original version, which some of these tracks wound up on, and also the Black Album that got released in 1994, all the Camille tracks, Camille was Prince's alter ego with a sped up voice. They're all going to be finally put back in the original Camille album sound sequence and put out by Jack White's Third Man Records. So that's going to be awesome. Arcade Fire just put out a new video in mid-March, you know, when we're taping this. And so here's the interesting thing. It's called Lightning Part 1 and 2, and it's from the upcoming album, We, that's out on May 6th. Here's the interesting thing. When it started out, I was like, oh, the ship has sailed on this band. It's very trite, cliche. I was not into the lyrics. I was like, where's this going? And I'm kind of like, okay, maybe I'm done with Arcade Fire. And then the second half hits. And the bombastic stuff that goes back to kind of what they did really well on Funeral, where it's just such this wall of sound. And in the video, they're literally playing in a tornado. And then you realize, oh my God, when this band is hitting on all cylinders, it is, there's just nothing else like it. So I went from like hating the track to loving the track. So maybe lightning part one, not into lightning part two is mind blowing. So looking forward to the new arcade fire album, we in May. And I think that wraps us up. So I think I'm going to post that video on our Facebook and Twitter uh, pages for planet LP. So people can see that as well. If they're listening to the podcast and thinking, Instead of just searching for it, I'll just go over to Planet LP and watch it there. Yeah, there you go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make good TV on, on podcasting, maybe good podcasting and get people to to honor our excellence and, and to not necessarily sell units, but to, to get Arcade Fire some views. There you go. There you go. They could use it. Yeah. So maybe next time we could talk about the Radiohead spinoff, The Smile, which actually mm-hmm. sounds like Radiohead. You okay. know, Free Kid A. Remember, the, remember when Radiohead was a guitar band? So The Smile, they've got new music coming out. There's a new Muse record coming out in August. And so, yeah, we got plenty to talk about next time. I think we do. And even folks like Johnny Marr and Frank Turner, you might want to mention next time. And we didn't get to that. But those were a couple of them that you had some 
pretty thick notes on. So we'll we'll pick it up next month on the Pop Dose New Music Report with Keith Creighton. Keith, thank you so much for being on the Planet LP podcast. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back soon to drop the needle on a world of albums. See ya. <laughs>